0: Welcome to Business Talk Sister Rock. I'm Becca and I'm Ruthie. And today's episode title is The Secrets to Simplifying Business. And with us today, we have someone from Australia, who got up so early in the morning to be with us, which we are so grateful for, from being 6,000 feet underground to starting an education business that grew to over 4,000 plus students, um, to spending years working in venture capital. We have Rail with us and he's seen it all. He's listed companies on two international stock exchanges and his financial services group has settled more than 3 billion in loans in the last 18 years. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Hey, good morning. I'm, I'm, I'm rocking and rolling. First coffee down.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, the first question we have for you today is what do you do right now?
1: So, right now, I spend about 50% of my time in the financial services group. I, um, I still have four and a half thousand clients who still want to talk to me about building their businesses, building their retirement. Uh, building their property portfolios. And the other 50% of my time is as a professional speaker. Pre-COVID, I was obviously international. I was traveling the world, having a great time. Um, A little bit more Zoom-based now. Um, Had had to build a studio so I could present as if I was on stage. And I run a couple of small business academies, four-month-long small business academies, as a professional speaker and mentor.
2: Nice. Okay. So, give us a little bit of your background as to why you do what you do now.
1: Um, my why is really about giving. It's about sharing. It's about the fact that I'm interested as a person in, in other people's success. And that applies equally as a professional speaker. Um, I've been successful. I've been lucky. I've been in the right place at the right time in different businesses. But for me, it's now about going in and and, and making real change with people and seeing the change happen. I was talking to a mentor the other day and I said to him, the most amazing change of the 2020-2021 pandemic has been that I went from spending time on big stages where you spend an hour talking to people and, and you have a great experience and you get great feedback from them and great Uh, you, you have this adrenaline high because you've been on stage but truly the 2020 period where I ran small business academies for four months and I really got into the depth of people's businesses and saw real change that made me much happier I still love the big stage but I really love making change and helping people become their own change agents
0: Yeah. Well, and I can definitely imagine too, going from getting that instantaneous feedback to then podcasting or like getting online and having not instantaneous anymore is probably really big change. So um, my question with that is how do you do what you do now?
1: So how do I do it? Um, I, I, I have shifted my business model to to from keynote speaking, which is keynote speaking, let's face facts is a great because you get paid a lot of money to be on stage and and share ideas. And, and and the role of a keynote speaker is, is one of inspiration, um, more than education. And I think that's, that's part of it. And it's lovely. It's fantastic, inspiring people. But the real, the real satisfaction comes from the education. So how do I do it? I it's a combination of sharing ideas. It, I mean, I, I wrote a book that was published in 2018 called Lessons Learned Since Business School. And it was it, it, the book is based on, and the title of this episode of your podcast is The Secrets to Simplifying Business. The back of the book says, Business is not complicated, business is simple. Just dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. And so, how do I do it? I get into people's minds and I get into their businesses. And, and work with them to not overanalyze, to, to actually make decisions based on their best opinion rather than 27 spreadsheets because that's part of simplifying things. It's a part about if you're a true entrepreneur, you're going to back yourself. And that's, that's what I do. That's how I do it. I, I will spend time understanding a business, understanding its positioning, understanding who their target audience is, and then being that little annoying voice on your shoulder who says, but what about? So, you know, a uh, classic example, a, a client recently is in the, in the um, business of, she runs high-end day spas and, and uses some very, very high-end products. And, and I got into the conversation with her about, so who is your audience? And she sort of explained it. And I said, well, what about this? And I threw another example at her of an audience. And she went, oh, I've never really thought about them being a, a, not necessarily an audience, but a competition. And I said, well, but surely they are a competition. And, and we, we went into the, that she has this exclusive day spa with these really expensive products. And how does she compare her long term relationship? with her clients who come to her every month or every two months or every week for a facial using these really expensive products to someone who goes to um, the, you know, the, the top-end spa to, at a six-star hotel and has a four-hour experience there but has no relationship with the people. So they come in, they have no relationship with the therapist because the therapists are just employed people there who may or may not be there the next month. And, and she'd never, ever thought of the fact that those big hotels with their really, really fancy slick spa experiences are competition. She saw the local beautician who has a regular stream of clients and they want a better product as her competition. And once she started positioning herself as, as competing with the, the major hotel chain with their very fancy spa, it changed the whole outlook on how to market her business. So mm. that's the how it's getting into that depth with people. And then you see the lights come on in the eyes. And, 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 you know, at a networking function, someone says to me, what do you do? Or how do you do it? And I go, I want to see the lights come on in people's eyes. I want to see the real change happening.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like you just kind of simplified her approach to looking at um, kind of her vision for her business, what was your first experience kind of simplifying business
1: Um, in my mortgage business? Well, I'll start with the mortgage business because that's probably the last 20 years. And, and the last 20 years has seen the growth of technology and everybody sort of goes on the bandwagon of, Oh, have you got a great CRM system? And you know, how much data do you keep and how do you use your CRM system for scheduling? Well, I'll go back probably 15 years and one of my PAs and, and, and there's a whole story around why I have a number of PAs in that business or EAs or whatever you want to, you call them mortgage assistants. But one of them had a pile of 35 or 40 files standing on her desk. And she looked at me and said, if this pile of files falls and hits the ground, I'm resigning. <laughs> and I, and I, I looked at her and I went, okay so the first simple thing i did was i got rubber bands uh you know elastic bands and i made everyone in the staff put elastic bands around the paper files now that might sound totally silly but i looked at this and knowing if that pile of paper falls on the ground it's going to take us weeks to sort out whose papers go where and so a simple simple thing in the business of doing that but more importantly Out of that was born something where I watched their productivity and I saw that they would pick up the file on the top of the pile and they'd go, oh, this is too hard. I'll just put it six files down and I'll do the easy stuff today because I'm a bit hungover or I've had a late night or, you know, early morning fight with a boyfriend or whatever. And so, so I looked at their productivity and I found that all the hard stuff was being pushed to the bottom of the pile. And so I came up with an incredibly simple system. There's a whole chapter in the book on it called the Monday to Friday system. And what it is, is each person has a whiteboard next to their desk with five columns on it marked Monday to Friday. And, and so I looked at it and I said, well, if they've got 40 files, which is about the number of mortgages each assistant was processing, and I broke that down into five days, that's only eight files. So And then I put a shelving system in and the shelves had shelves marked Monday to Friday. So each of them broke down their 40 files into eight per day, which made from a psychological point of view, they would walk in and on a Monday morning and take eight files off a shelf, not 40. So they didn't see this mountain of a workload in front of them. They only saw eight files. That's all they had to do that day. And how does the system work in total simplicity? They would open a file and let's say it's becca's file just picking on one of your names right yeah. and and so they'd say right this is becca's file they'd call abc bank and the bank would say oh well listen we're still processing it we will have an answer for you on wednesday so then the process would be send becca an email saying hey becca just spoke to the bank we we expect an answer on wednesday i'll come back to you then she'd go over to her whiteboard or he would i've got Uh, both genders of of assistance. They would write Becca Anderson under the Wednesday column because that's when we next have to touch that file and take the physical paper file and put it on the shelf marked Wednesday. Simple as that. And then it's off their mind. It's off their pile of work. It's gone from their workflow for that day. Exactly what we would use complicated CRM systems for. But this was incredibly simple. It predated most of the CRMs. But even today, we still use it even with a computerized CRM system because it means that me as the, as the boss or my, my right-hand person who's a shareholder in the business, they can walk in and uh, as I do most days when I'm in the office and if I'm away, then he does it and sits with each of the team members And looks at their whiteboard and goes, tell me about this person's file, this person's file, this person's, where can I serve you? Where can I add value to you in that process? So it has multiple uses. One is simplifying the workflow tremendously. But the other one was was about just being able to visually see what they're up to and see where we can help them.
0: Hmm. So what are ways any business could simplify right now?
1: So, so that, I mean, I'll again, use an, a, an example, I went to one of the major banks in Australia. I went to their processing office just because I was invited on a tour of the processing office. And I walked in and they had a flow chart of their business stuck up on the wall or walls because it was so complicated. And the flow chart was five foot high probably 10 foot wide okay and i looked at this and i went i understand they're a bank and they're trying to mitigate risk and all those other things but i look at it and i'm from my simplistic you know business is simple business is not complicated view of the world and i went when you get a new employee in if you want to make them productive the first thing you're going to do is put them in front of that chart for three weeks and they have to memorize it that's that's just crazy. You can't, you can't run a business on that. And, and so I, 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 you know, I encourage people around to try and work out their business on a single sheet of, I was going to say A4, but in the US, you call it letter. Uh, letter mm-hmm. paper, that's it. A simple piece of paper out of your printer, you should be able to draw out the entire process of your business on one piece of paper. Now, each block on that process may be another process in and of itself, but I I bring it down to simple terms. If you've got a new staff member starting on Monday morning at eight o'clock, by nine o'clock, you should have been able to explain to them at a high level how the entire organization works, no matter how big it is. And so that's one way of simplifying your business is making sure, and then at each step, you need an external third party to, uh, and that's not an advert for coaches or consultants or anything that that I do or mentoring, but you need an external third party who looks at it and goes, why? And that's a question a lot of entrepreneurs don't ask. They go, oh, we've always done it like that. Or business owners, we've always done it like that. So we've never thought of asking the question why. And so that whole simplification process has two parts to it. It's, it's, trying to explain your business to a new employee in one hour in terms of how it works. And then when you're doing that, questioning each and every step in the process and saying, is there a better way we can do this? Or why do we do it this way?
2: That is so cool. I love that being able to put all your processes on one page. Um, And then so when you go through that process, as you're kind of starting out as a business owner, what would you recommend starting with as you try to simplify your business?
1: Well, the thing that, that often we get caught up in is, is technology, and and this is I'm talking 2021, you know, this is the last 10 years, and and as our workforce becomes, um, and I hate using generational terminologies, but as our baby boomers retire, and as our Gen Zs and millennials become the majority of our workforce, who are technology driven, who 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 make notes on iPhones as opposed to pieces of paper. The the challenge we have is that the natural reversion of people is to technology, but yet we need to start with paper. And and what I mean by that, and that sounds very old school. It dates me a lot, but, but it's not. It's about that simplicity. If you try and go for the technology solution, Before you've so so you starting a business, right? And you go, Oh, I need an app to do this. Well, maybe the business is driven by an app and that's okay. You need an app. But if it's a business, um, you know, a, a traditional business model, buying a product and selling a product or or selling a service, you know, yes, you do need some technology in the background to run the business. You know, you need your Microsoft suite or whatever it is, but i'll give you another another example when i talk to people about presentations corporate presentations and a a great friend of mine who's a professional speaker who talks about um, efficiency in the office taught me a process because i i was falling victim to the same thing i would want to prepare a new keynote or a new presentation the first thing i would do is open powerpoint and start my creative process in PowerPoint. In other words, working mm-hmm. out the slides as I went. And she said, no, start with a piece of paper, write down your three key points. And for each key point, write down three more points that you want to use to explain that. And then if, you ha- if you're if you doing a, a half day or a day of a seminar, then another three points on each of those three points, that gets complicated, but and too many three points in there. But, but the same thing applies to business. You know, you find your key things that you want to get done, maybe a little bit of simplification, and you do that on paper. I mean, I do that all the time. I'm drawing. I, I use my laptop a lot of the times. I'll be sitting in a coffee shop, and I'll flip the screen over and take out the pen, and I'll draw on the screen. I'll draw pictures because pictures make the most sense to me to work these things out, and then I'll translate that into a technology solution or another form of solution in the office. So, so the answer is keep it simple, keep it, keep it real. Um, you know, training and, and I know that, Ruthie, you work in, in financial consulting and financial uh, coaching. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I've taught my team in mortgages over the years is to never use a computer in front of the client. I mean, yes, if you want to check up interest rates, you say to the client, yes, I'm gonna go and check on the computer for the interest rates. But I taught the team to draw pictures on pieces of paper with different colored pens and talk in not bank speak, but in real person speak to simplify it and then say to them, look, I have to check for the interest rates or the whatever on the computer. But they've got to understand you as the person. And I think that's where we forget in business is there's people involved and keep the people don't don't just dive into the tech solution
0: yeah oh it's so funny because we actually talk a lot about how um even in our personal lives like i take notes on a notebook and i always make my task list for the day on a notebook and i don't use technology because it's so easy to get distracted um even if you're on your phone or whatever having that in front of you all of a sudden something's dinging and trying to get your attention somewhere else and if you can just keep it all on paper it, it's so much easier. And, and I laugh too, because when you were saying, oh, use different colors, I literally have like a a binder of just colored uh, pens that I use. And I switch between them all the time and, and plan out everything. So <laughs> we totally it looks, agree.
2: <laughs> it looks like a giant coloring book. Like that's you turn from one page to the other. And it's like, explosive creativity
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so we we totally get what you're talking about and that's really valuable advice um that I guess we don't even realize that that we do too that is really helpful for us so when you first started what was probably some of the most valuable advice that you received
1: um it was interesting the when I started say in the education business and, and that's a classic of what I was talking about with overthinking things. So, so we put that into a context, a, 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 a year context was 1990 in South Africa. The, the significance of 1990 in South Africa was the fact that I got married. Now, that wasn't a significant date that year, but it was a very significant <laughs> date in my life. But, but the date I got married actually was significant in South African history because i got married at 4 p.m on the 11th of february 1990 and nelson mandela was released from jail at 4 p.m on the 11th of february
0: 1990
1: wow um and so we were married on my wife's farm which was about using miles about 50 miles out of johannesburg and we had 250 guests on the farm and a big marquee up and everything else and it you know, we're talking 31 years ago, the TV service in South Africa was pretty awful, and the standard sort of TV was about 12 inches wide. And until you know 3:59 in that afternoon, we had, you know, most of the guests crammed into the farmhouse watching this little TV because nobody had ever seen who Nelson Mandela was. So the, sorry, that was just a an aside story. Mm-hmm. I know you like aside stories in your in your podcast. <laughs> but That same year, we started a business, and 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 this is the big mistake we made. And I'll, you know, myself and Jonathan, who started the business, my business partner and lifelong friend, we've known each other since we were fourteen. He had finished business school in 1987. I finished business school in 1988. We were we were fresh faced, twenty six year olds, and we thought we would tell the world how to run their businesses. There's only one problem with that is we'd never run a business ourselves. Um, we'd come out of this business school with a level of arrogance and a level of we can do anything, which was very wrong. And it took me many years to kind of beat that self, beat that out of myself. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we started this business and and it didn't really work out. We won one contract and that sort of paid the bills for a few months. But what we did discover was that there was this need For education, the majority black population in South Africa had been suppressed for many, many years. Nelson Mandela's release had really, you know, had released this hunger to be successful, and Mm. we morphed our business into a college. We had twenty students in 1990 um, who signed up, and explaining this to you, we worked from Jonathan's lounge room. People (laughs) walked through the garden where the dogs he had two Labradors had been using it as their facilities. Um, and they had to step lightly through the garden to make sure they didn't step in anything. They came to the house to sign up with two 26 year olds who'd never even run a school before, but yet we managed to get 20 students signed up for that year. And that's, that's when I'm saying, don't overthink things in your business. And that was the advice we were given, was just to dive in and go, we didn't overthink it. We didn't even realize when we started who the two biggest competitors were, we only kind of started and then went, oh, we've actually got two very big players. We're competing and we're this this small nothing. But suddenly we grew to be one of the biggest players Hmm. because we thought differently. We thought outside the square. We did different levels of advertising. We didn't have a lot of money, so we had to use our money very efficiently. Um, And the advice given to us at the time was just to go for it. We had friends who did the MBAs with us who said, just add us to your list of lecturers, even if we never lecture for you, we're just going to add credence to your business by having all these MBA graduates and all these, you know, people with lots of experience on your team. Mm, and so mm-hmm. we just reached out to friends who, who were really, really supportive. And um, but they also knew about business, they thought we were mad. <laughs> um, but, but that's okay. Most entrepreneurs have an element of madness. Otherwise, they wouldn't be entrepreneurs in the first place.
2: Wow. I've I've just really been a joy getting to hear your story and like all these incredible things that you've done. Um, So thank you so much for sharing with us. I really appreciate it a lot. And I know you've gotten up super early to be with us. And um, we just want to acknowledge that we're really thankful for all the stuff that we've learned from you already. Um, Can you tell us how our listeners can find you? And then we're going to transition to the Sister Gock portion of our episode
1: how do they find me? I mean, I'm, I'm fairly active on social media, probably not as active as people younger than me. No, I am <laughs> fairly active on, on LinkedIn. I mean, rail at railbricker.com is the easiest way to get hold of me. Uh, railbricker.com is my website. Excellencepodcast.com is the podcast website. And um, otherwise on LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram, not a fan of Twitter. I've One of those things that I just never got into. But those are the best ways of getting getting hold of me.
0: Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So I am really kind of excited to hear because I know we talked about, oh, we're going to do a gawk. And um, you seem like you have a bazillion stories. So I'm really <laughs> excited to hear from you about your gawk with
1: us. Okay. Well, okay. I've, I've been thinking about it because you kind of threw that at me, but that's okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> little bit of inspiration, a little bit of of humor. And so the book I wrote is called Dive In. And how did I get to that title? Because for years, I had this really serious business title called called Give Up Control to Gain Control. Okay, which is really one of the chapters in the book, but it's it's not what the book's about. And the opening story in my book is me standing on a beach in 2012 in a pink bathing cap. Now, why pink? Because I was in the 40 to 49 age group um, <laughs> of, um, of triathletes. I was doing my first triathlon and I am, I, I'm five foot six and what they would say in Australia, built like a brick dunny. Now, dunny in Australia is an outdoor lavatory, all right, which is generally <laughs> a square block. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um and so I they say I'm built like a brick dunny which is um you know square and solid okay and I'm not exactly an athlete but although I did play sport at state level in my 20s but but that's you know that was me coming back midlife crisis I have to do something athletic to try and relive my 20s when I played high level sport and I'm standing on this beach in this pink bathing cape with about a 40 to 49 year olds, all in pink bathing caps, all looking like athletes and inverted commas around the athletes. And that was where I had the most amazing epiphany because I stood there and I realized that i would never actually done a swim in the sea competitively. And there I was about to dive into the ocean with a hundred other people and, and, and being, and if you've ever read the book blue ocean strategies or, or referenced the words works of, 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 René Mauban and W. Kim Chan in, in Blue Ocean Strategies, it finally dawned on me, standing on that beach, what it was all about. Because they talk about the blue ocean, which is the clear water in front of you, or the red ocean, which is the competitive business environment where all your competitors play. And I dived into the water and I was in this red ocean. I was being kicked in the head by the person <laughs> ahead of me. Every time I took a stroke, I was hitting somebody Every time I kicked, I was kicking somebody behind me and their goggles off. And I picked my head up in the middle of this chaos with 750 meter swim. And I just had this thought about, well, that's what you do in business. You just find a clear lane. It doesn't have to be this perfect place. And so I I veered out. I veered out of the crowd to going around the crowd. And I knew that it would lose me time and I was never going to be competitive anyway I wasn't there to compete I was there to finish and actually make it to shore and that philosophically was one of the biggest turning points in my life and I still walk onto stage and I still have that original pink bathing cap and I show people that I'm not lying because I actually do have it
2: do you wear um,
1: it uh yeah it doesn't look good <laughs> when you try and pull it off on stage when you've got a microphone <laughs> on it makes a lot of noise um, I enough. but but yeah I mean it, it that was almost the turning point that made me go, and that and the fact that four months later I had two hot um, stents put in. Wow. Um, yeah, so I was, I was kind of running on adrenaline more than oxygen because I had two blockages, one of them 95% blockage. Wow,
0: okay, oh, um, wow.
1: Yeah, that, so, so it was sort of a wake up call just before I turned 50. Um, and the pink bathing cap is the symbol of that that I still managed to do a season of triathlons, not have a heart attack, thankfully, mm-hmm. and had two stents, and now, you know seven years later, I'm probably fitter and stronger than I ever was. Wow. but But that pink bathing cap is 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 a reminder of the fact that you can do anything. you know you don't have to be the, the size eight model in, 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 you know, in female terms because men don't use those sizes. You don't need to be, you know, have the 12 pack as an athlete to compete. But you just have to have the will to compete and the will to get out there. And the end of the day, it wasn't about competing with us, but competing with myself. And yeah. so that's what that pink bathing cap means to me. It's, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I send people photographs of me in the pink bathing cap, they went, really? Are you happy to send those photographs out? <laughs> and I said, yes. And it's a little bit like Instagram today you know, the, the most real stuff on Instagram is those people who are raw. They are not manicured and makeup. It's, it's the raw footage, the raw photographs, the, the stuff that comes from the heart. That's what makes it real. Not, not the, 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 touched up glam photos.
0: Well, thank you for being with us today. We have really enjoyed having you um, and we and I'm just going to throw it out there. I can attest to the fact that he is still being in very great shape because when I asked him to send me information, he was like, I'm at the gym right now. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, you guys can go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts and we will see you next week.